Let me just say it again. Thank you for being with us on this Easter service. I am so glad that you are with us. Hey, I want to ask you a question right up front. I was just thinking about it leading up to this time together. How strange does it feel to not be in a church building for Easter service? For many of you, it's been a really long time. You know, in fact, I can't think of an Easter Sunday that I was not in church. In fact, even during some of my teenage years when I was not in a relationship with Jesus and far from God at certain points, I can still remember being in church on Easter Sunday. So it feels quite unique. And then I had another thought. And the thought was, you know, I don't know that I've ever missed an Easter Sunday. And I think I was in an Easter service even eight months before I was born. Now, it was because of my mom making that, that possible. I wasn't even born yet, but she made sure I was in church even before I was born. Now, fortunately, the church, when I say the church, uh, capital C, the church is not a building. We know that. From the Bible, it tells us the church is not a building. It's actually a body, the body of Christ. Uh, by the way, did you know that in numerous places around the world, that people can never gather together. There are many places in the world where brothers and sisters in Christ are not able to come together because of the threats of persecution. And so the idea of them re-engaging with one another is not even a possibility. And having said that, I just want to say that I'm very grateful today. I am so thankful that technology allows us to be together for this service. And, and we can even interact. We can chat. You see that? That possibility is there. You can make comments. You can connect with us online. And so I'm thankful that technology, even though we can't be together right here, because I'm actually at this moment speaking uh, to a lot of empty seats. And so we're not to gather in this building, but we're able to be together because of technology. I'm also grateful that we're going to be able to gather together in churches again. That would be like uh, lowercase c. That's like plural. That's like churches. We'll be able to gather together uh, in churches again, and we hope that that's going to happen in the near future. And when that happens, that's going to be utterly fantastic. When I've been in conversations with a lot of people, and it was becoming quite clear that we would not be able to gather uh, back together for Easter Sunday, not by Easter. One of the things that I said, well, you know, I don't like it, you don't like it, but here's the reality. That first Sunday, when all of us are able to come back together, that's going to feel like Easter. That's going to be an absolutely fantastic time. And it is, by the way, the way uh, that Jesus designed that his body, the church, would function, that we would come together and that we would worship together. That's how Jesus wanted his body to be. Now, speaking of Jesus, I want to take a close look today at Jesus' life in this service. What a novel idea that we would be talking about Jesus on Easter, right? Absolutely, we're going to talk about Jesus today. Specifically, we're going to focus on his example, but maybe in a different way than you've seen before. An example that he left for us, and it actually deals with three seasons that all of us are facing or we're going to face in the future. You see, you're going to go through this, and I'm going to go through this. All of us are going to go through three seasons. We're going to liken it to three days, the last three days in Jesus' life, and we're going to touch on that in just a moment. Now, even if you, uh, as we get into this, maybe you're saying, well, I, I don't really need this right now in my life. I don't need this portion right now in my life. Nevertheless, I would encourage you to take really, really good notes. Let me tell you why. 
what we're going to talk about today, you may not need. You may not need it right now, but trust me, there's coming a time in your life where what we're going to talk about today, the example that we're going to look at from Jesus' life, that you're going to need it, is going to be helpful to you. So I want to encourage you to take some good notes. Their notepad, your phone, your tablet, your iPad. Did you know that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus actually happened over the course of three very important days? And that's what we're going to talk about in this service, three very important days. Friday being the day of, of pain and suffering. Saturday being the day of confusion and grief. You might would say bewilderment. But then Sunday there came that great day of joy and celebration. By the way, you and I, as I just alluded to, all of us are going to go through all three of these days at certain points in our life. And often they're repeated. So what we're going to talk about from the life and the example of Jesus is crucially important. So here's what I want you to do. Whatever distractions may be lingering around, I want you to dial in uh, for the next few moments because I think that this is going to be really helpful to you. And I want us to take a look at our very first verse. This is our starting point, learning from the example of Jesus. And look at what we find uh, here in this verse. 1 Peter 2.21 says, God called you to endure suffering. Now, I know that you don't like seeing that, and I'm not crazy about seeing that, but that happens. All of us go through times of pain and challenge and suffering in our life. It's one of the seasons that we'll all go through. God called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. But look at this next phrase. He left you an example so that you and I could do what? That we could follow in his footsteps. Jesus left us an example. An example so that you and I, if we're in our Fridays that season, or our Saturdays that season, he left us an example. You see, in the waning days of Jesus' life here on earth, he walked through the toughest times of his life. And he models what you should do and what I should do in the toughest days of life. When there are trials and when there are tragedies, when there are doubts and when there's despair. Let's take a few moments right now to talk about Friday, that season of life. It was a day in Jesus' life, but many times in our life, it can feel like a season. On Friday, Friday is the day of pain, and on Friday, G Jesus experienced pain at such an intense level that there's not a single one, one of us that can even begin to grasp that kind of pain. What kind of pain is it that Jesus walked through on Friday? And a lot of you are familiar with this, but I want to just remind you that on that Friday, Jesus went through an enormous amount of physical pain, pain in his body. And many of you have read the scriptures concerning this. When you've read about the life and ministry of Jesus, you know what he endured in his body on that final Friday of his life. You've read about, you've heard about, maybe you've even seen images and portrayals in movies uh, that can't even, by the way, quite capture how brutal the beating was that Jesus went through. He did it all for us, but the, but the inhumane beating that he went through and, and how that he would be hit repeatedly. You study the scriptures and it said that they would blindfold Jesus and they would take turns literally, literally just punching him in the face and saying outrageous things like, if you're the son of God or you're the Messiah, then guess who, who of us it is that just punched you? And, and to be slapped, and, and that his beard would be plucked out, that uh, toward the end of all of that, and, and uh, how they, they would take a crown of thorns, and they would press it upon his brow, and the crucifixion, 
And I could remember a time in my life I was going back and reading the Gospels again, and I just said, I'm going to underline, I'm going to highlight every portion of, uh, of what Jesus went through in terms of his physical pain because I wanted to be reminded of what Jesus was willing to endure for me, an enormous amount of physical pain that he went through for me and that he went through for you. But can I tell you, it did not stop at physical pain. Jesus also experienced emotional pain. And some of you may be like, all right, Jeff, I get the physical pain point of it. I see that side, but what do you mean by his emotional pain? And I'll just put it to you in this manner. Can you imagine, even for a moment, can you imagine being stripped naked and then publicly nailed to a cross for anybody or for everybody to see, to see that happen, so that anybody could watch you die in such a humiliating fashion. You see, Jesus, when he died for you and for me, he died the death of a criminal. In fact, it was a means of capital punishment. Now, we know that Jesus did no wrong, and yet he would die the death of a criminal. But more than that, it was, it was uh, to be done in such a way that it would be an act of humiliation and shame and rejection. So Friday, the day of pain for Jesus, was a day a day of physical pain, but it was also a day, a, a day of emotional pain. But it didn't end there. He then was faced with an extreme amount of spiritual pain. And, uh, and you may be, that may be another one where you're like, you know, Jeff, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I get the physical pain and I better understand now the emotional pain. Uh, but what do you mean that Jesus went through spiritual pain on that Friday? And, and let me tell you what I mean. And, and I'll just ask it to you in this way, and it's rhetorical, because you have felt this and I have felt this. Ha, do you know what it's like to feel guilty and you're like, oh, yes, I do, and so do I? There's been times in your life and there's been times in my life when there was something that we knew that we should not do and, and we did it anyhow, or there was something that we knew we should have done, but we chose not to do it. And, and whether we chose to do something we should not do or we omitted doing something we know we should have been doing, we just were left with this bad taste of guilt. We just felt so guilty about that. You have felt that. I have felt that many times. And we don't like the way that that feels. It feels horrible. It feels weighty. Now, I want you to take that and I want you to magnify it in this regard. Jesus, Jesus, consider this, who committed no sin who was perfect in every way, that Jesus would take the guilt, that Jesus would take the weight of every single sin that every human being has ever committed, that all of that would be placed upon Jesus, that all of that would be placed on Jesus all at once. If you and I know what it's like to feel guilty for something that we've done, it's hard for us to be able to imagine what Jesus must have felt like when the sin and the shame of the whole world was placed upon him. Who could endure something like that? Only Jesus could endure something like that. And you know what, friends? Good news for us is he was willing to do so. And because he's willing to do so, he was willing to do so, Jesus becomes well acquainted with the pain that you're faced with in your life. Jesus knows what it's like to, be, uh, to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. 
there's a couple of verses in Hebrews in the New Testament that I want you to see. Look at this. When Hebrews 4.15 says this, Jesus understands. Isn't it good to know that whatever you're going through right now, Jesus understands. What does he understand? He understands every weakness, every single weakness that you have, every weakness that I have. Jesus understands every one of our weaknesses. How does he do it? Because he was tempted in every way that we are. And then look at this last part, but he did not sin. There's another verse out of Hebrews that I want you to take a look at right here. Hebrews 2.18, and now he can help. That's what Jesus wants to do. And Jesus wants to help us. He can help those who are tempted because he himself suffered and was tempted. Jesus is well acquainted with pain. So maybe right now you're in a Friday season kind of life. Maybe you're at a time in your life where it's a painful time. Maybe you're going through a time of suffering. So what do we do in our days of pain? And the Bible tells us we follow the example of Jesus. We do exactly what Jesus did. We follow in his footsteps, which are really primarily two things. And, and I want to mention this to you. And the first one may be a little bit surprising to you. But what did Jesus do on his Friday in his days of pain? Jesus actually reached out to his friends. Doesn't that sound unique? That Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the matchless Son of God, God in the flesh, that Jesus, in the most painful moment of his life, that Jesus would need his friends. You see, the night before his greatest day of pain, he gathered together his closest friends. Those that he had spent the last three, three and a half years of his life with, he gathered them together, and he wanted them to be with him. In fact, I want to just read something to you. This is uh, not on the screen, but in Matthew chapter 26, you can write it down somewhere. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 36, says this, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. When he got there, he told them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus took along with him Peter and the two brothers, James and John. And it says this. Listen to these words. It says he was sad and troubled. And then he said to them, he was just gut level honest with his friends. He didn't try to pretend. He didn't like, hey guys, everything's okay. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Jesus said these words. I am so sad that I feel as if I'm dying. And then he said, stay here and keep awake with me. Jesus walked on a little way. Then he knelt with his face to the ground, and he prayed. You see, in the moment of Jesus' greatest struggle, I want you to get this now, so important, Jesus reached out to his friends, friends that he could be totally honest with. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus also reached out to his heavenly Father. You know, no matter who your friends are, and, and quite possibly you've got great friends, and maybe you've had these friends for a long, long time, you know, even with that, friends, our friends cannot be there all of the time. They'll be there a lot of the time, maybe, but they can't be there all the time. But this is why Jesus reached out to his heavenly father. Even though his friends couldn't be with him all the time, he knew that God could. And you and I can know that in our lives as well. How do we know this? How do we do this? How do we connect with God? And, and, and it's really simple when you think about it. We connect with God. We reach out to our friends. Most all of us know how to do that. But how do we reach out to God? We reach out to God by praying. We just have conversations with God. 
And, and it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be like big, gigantic words that we use. We don't have to pray to impress anybody. We just have a conversation with Jesus the way, with God the way that we would with our friends. And we're like Jesus was with his friends. And we're just honest. And we tell him, Jesus is never surprised. God the Father in heaven is never surprised when you and I communicate to him the pain and the struggle. We could just be as Jesus was, God level honest. Jesus, this is hard. This is difficult. This is painful. Uh, this is not easy. And we can be that, that honest with God about it. Jesus reached out to his friends, but he also reached out to his heavenly father. I want you to see this in Mark 14. It says, and it's sort of picking up the story where we left off. After walking a little farther away from them, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, he would not have this time of suffering. He knew that Friday would be difficult. He prayed. Look at what he prayed. He prayed, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, some of you know this. Others of you may not. That when Jesus uses that word, Abba, Father, it actually is translated Daddy. We would, maybe in our modern vernacular, we would say something like, not just Daddy, but Papa. Or as a small child would say, Dada. Even a small kid can say, Dada. And he reached out to his friends, but he reached out to his father. And you and I don't have to approach God, you know, in our pain and in our suffering as God is some far off deity. We can approach him as our daddy. We can come to him as our father. And we can let him know exactly what we're going through. You can do that in your own life. I remember a time, I, if I was a teenager, I was barely a teenager. I may have been like a preteen. And the neighborhood where we lived, I can remember a time where the big bully in the neighborhood, he was just a tough guy. And, and uh, I, I know that you would say, well, you know, Jeff, you could handle him. Look at you now, six foot four, 250. Well, maybe not, maybe quite a bit smaller than that. But this guy was big and I was not. And this bully, and I, I can't even remember why. I'm sure it was all on him. I probably didn't smart off or maybe I did. I can't quite remember. But he reached back and he hit me on my jaw as hard as he could. And it was painful. It hurt. I wanted actually to cry, but I couldn't bring myself to crying in front of my friends. So what did I do? I did the next best thing. I went to where my daddy was, and I got my dad, and I brought my father back to where the bully had hit me. It was amazing. He left me alone after that. You know, maybe you're walking through a time of pain and suffering in your life, and you're like, what do I do? Where do I turn? You turn to your father, to daddy, Abba Father. Friday, the day of pain. But I want us to look at the second day, Saturday. Saturday is the day of confusion. When we arrive at the second day, which is the Saturdays of life, these are the days of, these are the days of doubt, and these are the days of confusion. Can you imagine even for a moment what the disciples and the friends of Jesus were thinking when they stood there and the realization of Jesus' dead body being taken down from the cross and, and that they would take his lifeless body and they would go and place it in an empty tombs? Can you imagine what Jesus' disciples thought his friends must have been thinking? I personally think that their heads are spinning and they're like, what just happened? How did, how did this even happen? How is it that Jesus was not only nailed to the cross, but he was 
he was, um, he was pronounced dead while on the cross. And they would take his body and go, how did all of this happen? What just happened? Jesus, because in their minds, they're thinking Jesus could have come down from that cross at any point that he wanted to. Now, why would they be thinking that? They would be thinking that because personally they had been eyewitnesses to many miracles that Jesus himself had performed. You see, these very followers of Jesus, these disciples, the friends of Jesus, they had personally seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen it with their own eyes. They have seen Jesus, as we talked about last week, if you were with us. They've seen Jesus open up blind eyes, cause their cripple to walk. They've seen deaf people that have never been able to, to hear before, that suddenly they're able to hear. And Jesus had, in fact, even raised the dead, that Jesus personally had interrupted funeral services by bringing the dead back to life. They had seen that Jesus even possessed authority over nature and weather and how that he could speak to the winds and the waves. And he could say, even over creation, peace be still. And in that moment, it would have to become peaceful and still and calm. And they're like, how is it, having seen all of that, that nails could keep Jesus to the cross? But I'm telling you, friends, and I want you to hear this. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. It was not nails that kept Jesus on the cross. You know what it was? It was love. (laughs) Nails couldn't have held Jesus on the cross. It was only love. Love for you and love for me. The greatest act of love ever, it was nails that held him there. See, Saturday is a huge day of doubt and confusion. I also believe that the disciples, for them, their head is not only spinning saying, you know, how did that happen? But I think for them, it's a day of tremendous regret and remorse because they had abandoned Jesus in the time that Jesus needed them most. See, Jesus had actually warned them ahead of time that this would happen. I want you to look at Matthew 26, 31. Jesus told them it would happen, and they didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to think that this would happen. And then Jesus said to them, all of you, and that actually happened, all of them, all of you will abandon me tonight. Scripture says I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus, when he needed his friends the most, his friends, they all scattered In fact, about uh, 20 or so verses later in this same chapter of Matthew, it says, then all the disciples, all the disciples, every one of them deserted him and fled. Can I just say this to you? Maybe, Maybe your day, this season of your life, is more like a Saturday than it is a Friday. Friday's a day of pain and suffering, but our Saturdays are a day of confusion and doubt and grief. And Jesus lost his friends, not of his own choosing. They just abandoned him. Maybe you've lost some friends. Maybe you've lost a special friend that you're just like, I would have never imagined that this could happen in the context of our relationship, that they would betray me, that maybe you've lost a friend, or maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe maybe you've lost your spouse, somebody that you love so much, and, and you've lost them either to death or to divorce, or maybe you've lost your job. A lot of people during this time have lost their job, and maybe you just feel confused because, like, I worked hard, and, and, you know, I was doing the right things, and, you know, I didn't have any control over it. It wasn't that I wasn't doing my job. I was doing my job to the best of my ability, but I've lost my job, or I've lost my health, or I've lost my parent, or I've lost my dream, or I've lost my confidence. What do we do on Saturday when faith and hope is beginning to fade and in its place doubt and confusion is staring us down? What do you do in times like that? What do you and I do in the Saturdays of life? This is what we do. Uh, You and I grab hold of the promises of God. 
We hang on to the promises of God. And in those moments, friend, you know what it's like. I know what it's like. You may feel like, well, you know, that's Jeff, that's all I can do is just cling to the promises of God. That's all I've got. But I've got good news for you. That is enough. If you cling to the promises of God, that is enough because God is faithful and God is dependable and God is trustworthy and God loves you and he cares about you. And you know what he's done? He has filled up his word for you with over 7,000 promises. Can you imagine 7,000 promises that God gives to us? You see, on Fridays in the day of pain and suffering, we talk to God. We reach out to our friends. We reach out to God and we talk to God. Those conversations I mentioned a moment ago. But in our Saturdays, the day of confusion, we allow God to talk to us. And we get in his word and we say, God, I know that there are things that you want to say to me. There are promises, and, and I'm confused, and I'm riddled with doubt, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know which way to turn, and I don't know even which foot to put in front of the next, and I don't even know where this is going to lead me. And God just says, you come to me, and you claim the promises. You just get into my book and allow me now to speak to you. Look at John 16 here on the screen. Jesus said this, in a little while you won't see me, but in a little while after that you will see me again. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world, they will rejoice. You will grieve, look at this phrase, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful. What's that word right there? You see it? Wonderful joy. Look at this next part. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. And some of you see that, and you ladies have given birth before. You're like, all right, that got my attention. You're like pains of labor because you're like, I know what that's like. I know what that feels like. I can remember a time. It's been some time ago now, probably four years ago, three or four years ago. I'd gone to the hospital to visit some friends who uh, had just had a new baby. I get off of the elevator, I'm walking down the hallway, and I hear what is a piercing scream that almost made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Now, let me tell you what I did not think, and then I'll tell you what I did think. I didn't think for a moment, well, I, I guess she wasn't happy, uh, you know, with the meatloaf and mashed potatoes. I guess that's not what she wanted, and she's letting it be known. I never thought that for a moment. I immediately thought, here is a lady in the middle of labor pain. Look at what it says. When her child, though, is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. Look at what Jesus says. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Now you got to see this. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you. No one can rob you of that joy. Look at these next couple of verses. This is going back into the Old Testament. Some of you, you need to see this. This is Isaiah. Some of you, these are going to be the verses. You know, I mentioned 7,000 promises from God. These are the verses that you may want to claim. When you go through deep waters, and some of you are feeling like, that's me, I'm going through deep waters, God says, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Look at this. For I am the Lord. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, all of us need, all of us need a Savior. Fridays are the days of pain and suffering. Saturdays are the day of confusion and doubt. But let me just wrap up our time by mentioning to you Sunday. Sunday. It's the day of joy. 
And I believe that for you, your day of joy is coming. You may be on a Friday right now, or you may be in a Saturday, but friend, your Sunday, your day of joy is right around the corner. You know what I know about God, and you know this too. God loves to, and God specializes in turning uh, crucifixions into resurrections. Let me just say that again. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. Now, how do you get to those days of joy? How do you get to the Sundays of life? Can I just tell you that it's not going to be by your power? You can't say, well, you know, I'm going to get to Sunday, the day of joy, because I'm going to utilize my power. You know, if you could do that, you would have already done that by now. It's not going to be your power. It's not going to be my power. You can't say, well, you know how I'm going to get to Sunday? How I'm going to get to my day of joy is going to be by my intellect. That's how it's going to happen. I'm going to be smart enough, or I'm going to be clever enough, or I'm going to exercise my tenacity enough so that I can get to my Sunday. That's not how you and I get to our days of joy. To get through the toughest days of our life, we need to do these three things. We need to walk in the direction of the presence of Jesus and we need the promises of Jesus. We were just talking about that. But you and I need the power of Jesus. I mentioned this a moment ago, but I want to just come back and say it because a lot of times when our back is against the wall and we're in the toughest seasons of our life, we think we've got to work our way out of it. We've got to make something happen. But it's not about your power. It's not about my power. It's about his power. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you, whatever you're going through right now, you just hear this, please? You may be in the middle of a Friday. This may be a season in your life that is filled with pain and suffering. Or you may be a follower of Jesus and, and this is a Saturday and you're like confused and how did that happen and I don't understand it and what went wrong and where are the answers? You can't seem to find what the answers are. and You don't know what to do. Here's what I encourage you to do. Put your hope Put your life in the hands of a third-day God. Put your hope, put your confidence, put your life in the hands of a third-day God. See, one of the things the Bible is so clear about is this, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says if we become a follower of Jesus, is the same power that dwells within us as a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, cling to his presence. Cling to his promises, 7,000 plus of them, and cling to his power because his power is great enough. Now, you may be watching right now and you say, well, you know, Jeff, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Don't make claims to be a Christian. You know, I'm not going to be hypocritical and pretend to be something that I know I'm not. If you're not a Christian, I, I want to just say this to you as we get ready to close today. Your greatest need, if you're not yet a follower, and a lot of you are watching right now and you're not yet a Christian, I'm so glad, by the way, that you're with us. If you're not a Christian, you may think, well, this is what I need. I need, I need to follow the rules. That's what I need. I need the rules. Or you may say, well, I need to just go through the ritual and all the regulations. I need to do that. You may say, you know what I need? I need religion. And I want to just say this to you. Please hear me. You don't need rules, and you don't need rituals, and you don't need religion. What you need most is a relationship, a personal relationship with a God that loves you. Why did Jesus come into the world? So that you and I can be in a relationship, a personal relationship with him. If God could have done it any other way, why would God have allowed his son to go through everything that his son went through for you and for me? John 11, 25 and 26 says this, then Jesus said, 
Jesus then said to them, I am the way. I'm the one who raises the dead. I raise the dead to life. Everyone who has faith in me will live even if they die. And everyone who lives because of faith in me will never really die. And then he said, do you believe this? See, God created you to love you. God created you to be in relationship with him. God created you to live forever. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to say to you, if you're on a Friday or you're on a Saturday, throw yourself into the arms of God. Say, God, I need your presence in my life. God, I'm clinging to your promises with everything that I've got. God is going to be your power, not my own power that's going to help me to get out of Friday into Sunday or to get out of Saturday into Sunday into my day of joy. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of you that are seekers, you're like spiritual seekers, and you've been asking questions, and maybe now more than ever, you've been thinking about a relationship with God, you've been thinking about Jesus more, and you're not even quite sure why you've been thinking about Jesus so much, and, or you've been thinking about God, and maybe you, you're not a church person at all, don't claim to be a church person, but you're like, you know what? You know, I feel my heart somehow being drawn towards spiritual realities. You may be, you may be a skeptic. You may be a person that in the past you've said, ah, all that, I just, but you know that God is dealing with you. That's not a feeling right now that you've just created. It's a feeling that God is drawing you. You may be a stray. The Bible talks about stray sheep that sort of leave the fold and they go and they wander around. And, and you may be a stray that maybe you grew up in church and you had a relationship, a vibrant relationship with God at some point in the past, but you've just strayed away. And I just want to say to you, now is the day to come home. Now is the day to come home. Come back into the family of God. And here's the good news. Because of everything that Jesus went through, his physical, his emotional, his spiritual pain, he did it all for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Just a moment, we're going to take communion. But right now, I want you to just bow your head. And I want to pray for you. God, I just pray right now for every Christian that they're in a painful season. They're in a time where they're just suffering. Lord, this is a, this is a time in their life that they're like, God, I need your help. I need your strength. God, I need my friends. I need my Father in heaven. And I know that you are real and that you're powerful. Some people that are, that are watching this service right now, they're on a Saturday. It's a time of confusion and bewilderment, doubt and grief. And they're like, God, I need you to just show me what to do. Give me direction. No matter where we're at, we just, we need God to move into the Sundays, into the days of joy. And we know that you're going to make that possible. And so I pray for every person right now that's in a Friday or in a Saturday that, God, they would get to their day of joy. I know it's right around the corner and help them to believe you and trust you for it. And then for those that are not yet Christians, that this would be the moment right where they're at right now. <laughs> They'd say, Jesus, I don't even understand all about your life and everything that you did, but Jesus, I know that I need you. I need my sins to be forgiven. I know that I don't need anything but you. You're what I need most. And Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you the best that I know how. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. And we thank you that you hear that prayer as well. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed, if you just invited Jesus to become the Savior and the leader of your life, I want you to let us know. You're going to hear how you can do that. And uh, we want to follow up on you. Do anything that we can, can do to help you in your relationship with God. 
You know, we sent out to uh, those that we have their email that we would, as a part of the service today, be taking communion together. And some of you are prepared for that and others of you are not. So here's what I want to do. If you're prepared, you're ready, we're getting ready to take communion. But if you're like, man, I didn't know anything about that, here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. You can just right now go into your kitchen. You can go get some bread. You can go get some crackers. You can go get some juice, whatever you have. And you can take communion with us. And you may be saying, well, you know, Jeff, I, you know, I'm not really a church person, but I prayed and I received Jesus. When can I take communion? I'll tell you when you can, right now, and celebrate this new life in Jesus. So we're going to take communion together, and I'm going to ask you to join in with me. Jesus, in the closing days of his life, he gathered his followers together, and he had what we refer to as the Last Supper, and he took bread, the Bible says, and he broke it, and in breaking the bread, it was symbolic of his body. And we just talked about everything that Jesus went through in his body. And Jesus said to his followers, he said, when you take the bread, you do so in remembrance of me. And here's what's a really cool thing. Now, 2,000 years later, followers of Jesus are still remembering everything that Jesus went through in his body every time we receive the Lord's Supper communion. So I'm going to ask you, whatever you're holding right now, I've got a little piece of bread for you and maybe a piece of bread or a cracker or something. And when we take this, we remember Jesus and everything that he went through in his body for us. Let's take of the bread. Scriptures goes on to say that in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And just as the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, this juice that I have in my hand is symbolic of the blood, the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. And Jesus said, whenever you take the cup, you also do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the cup together. Now let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything that you went through for us. You walked through the Fridays so that we could get to the Sundays. And God, we just thank you for your sacrifice for us. And as we've taken these elements that are representative of your body and your blood, we remember you and we praise you and we celebrate you today on Easter Sunday. We pray that you'll bless each person that's been with us today. Keep your hand upon them and guide them. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.